When I was a Baptist pastor, I had a dilemma with one of my parishioners. This particular person was in their 20s, married, had a child, and exhibited a mature Christian faith. They were active in our church, and we wanted this person to be a voting member of our church. As a church in the Baptist tradition, we offered church membership to faithful and active parishioners who were baptized Christians. There was just one problem. This person was never baptized. I think what had happened was that as they were growing up, their family may have gone to different churches, and churches have different processes for baptism, and I think it just kind of slipped through the logistical cracks. The thought of being baptized now after spending most of their life as a faithful Christian seemed rather odd and awkward. I don't understand why I need to be baptized, this person told me. Well, it's a commandment that Jesus and the apostles give, I explained. Repent and be baptized. Yeah, I get that, this person said, but why? What's the point? Well, it's a symbolic way of demonstrating our faith to the world, I answered. Repentance and baptism always just went hand in hand. Okay, the person responded, but I've been demonstrating my faith to the world. I've been a Christian longer than not, and I've shared my faith with lots of people. Do I get anything extra from being baptized that I don't already have? I hesitated, not really sure how to answer. Um, I I don't know. I, I think you'd be honoring the Lord by doing it, but it's a symbol, I said. Well, this person responded, I don't see the point of me doing it now as a symbolic way of demonstrating my faith since I already live out my faith. We were at an impasse. And I don't think we ever came to a resolution. I've given that conversation a lot of thought over the years because this person's challenges of our Baptist theology caused me to think long and hard about it. I have to say that conversation is one of the reasons why I'm Catholic today. I think the Catholic understanding of baptism is a lot more biblically grounded and consistent than anything I was taught or I defended as a Baptist. Hi, my name is Justin Hibbert, and this is Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. This episode will wrap up our series on baptism. If you haven't listened to the other two, I recommend doing that. Episode 17 is about the Jewish roots of baptism. Episode 18 deals with the statement from the Nicene Creed, which says, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I mentioned that I grew up in a Baptist church, and we joked that if you ask 10 Baptists what they believe about baptism, you'll get 11 different answers. Since the Catholic Church has a comprehensive catechism, it's a little more, shall we say, defined. And so for this episode, I'm going to delve into the Catholic understanding of baptism, and we're also going to examine some of the arguments against the Catholic theology of baptism as well. Let's first define Catholic baptism, and let's do that by using St. Gregory of Nazianus' words from the 4th century, which were adopted into the catechism, paragraph 1243. Quote, Baptism is God's most beautiful and magnificent gift. We call it gift, grace, anointing, enlightenment, garment of immorality, bath of rebirth, seal, and most precious gift. It is called a gift because it is conferred on those who bring nothing of their own. Grace, since it is given even to the guilty. Baptism, because sin is buried in water. Anointing, for it is priestly and royal as those who are anointed. Enlightenment, because it washes. And seal, as it is our guard and the sign of God's lordship. There's a lot of descriptors in that statement, but let's draw out a few based on some of the things we've been talking about in previous episodes. First and foremost, baptism is a gift of grace. Secondly, baptism leaves us with an indelible or permanent seal. We are sealed in the new covenant. Like we talked about in previous episodes, baptism washes away our original sin. In the waters of baptism, we are born again. 
In episode 17, I talked about baptism corresponding to the Jewish practice of circumcision and mikvah. Those in the Baptist or evangelical tradition often talk about this idea of baptism being symbolic because the Bible talks about the sign of the covenant. This is a prime example of using the same word, but meaning something completely different, something I talked about in episode two on the language of Catholicism. In our 21st century Western world, we talk about symbols in a sense that they are an afterthought or independent of the substance. For example, the Statue of Liberty serves as a symbol of American freedom and liberty. While it's an important symbol, if it were to crumble tomorrow, it's not like we would suddenly lose our freedom and liberty. Whereas a sign in the ancient Jewish sense served as a marker that you belonged to someone. For example, if the emperor placed his seal on a scroll, anyone caught opening that document except for the intended recipient would be subject to capital punishment. Consider a rancher who brands his cattle. That sign, symbol, or brand is a permanent marker that identifies the owner of the livestock. This is why when certain sects of Protestantism talk about baptism as a symbol, they are injecting their meaning into a word that means something completely different in its ancient context. And so they are prone to completely miss the significance of baptism. Baptism is not optional in the same way that circumcision wasn't optional in the Orthodox Jewish community. In the waters of baptism is where the Christian receives their indelible sign that they belong to Jesus. I mentioned in the last episode that Catholics pretty much recognize all baptisms done in the name of the triune God. They don't re-baptize people. So here's a question for you. Since Catholics recognize that a baptized person belongs to the Christian community, does that mean that one has to be baptized in order to be saved? The answer is yes and no. Baptism is a sacrament which imparts grace to us. It's also a gift that God has given to the church so that the church can participate in the washing away of one's sins. In episode 6, I talked about how these sacraments are a way of God bringing together community. One can't baptize themselves in the same way that one cannot procreate by themselves. This was God's design, his design to create community, and so we have to rely on the Christian community to help us to get to heaven. Remember the first thing God saw that was flawed about his creation? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. The sacraments are God's way to continue building a community of faith. Some might argue that baptism can't be linked to salvation because we see the example of the crucifixion where Jesus told one of the thieves being crucified next to him that he would be in heaven with him after his death. The thief never got baptized. The Catholic Church would agree here, but here's the caveat. The church knows no other way to wash away original sin other than baptism. That was the rubric, so to speak, that God gave the church. The church is bound by the sacraments. God, however, is not. He could save people through extraordinary means like the thief on the cross, and it's really his prerogative to do so. However, I'd like to quibble with someone that uses the thief as a reason why baptism can't be necessary for salvation. The thief is not a good example. The thief on the cross couldn't be baptized in the Christian sense, not just because he was pinned to the cross, but because Jesus had not been raised from the dead yet. Christian baptism identifies with both Jesus' death and his resurrection. Paul points this out in Romans 6, 3-5. Hence, nobody could have been baptized in the fullest Christian sense until after Jesus' resurrection. Now, a Protestant, depending on the particular denomination, may make the claim that if baptism saves someone, then what Catholics believe is a works-based salvation. 
This argument would likely come from someone who has no concept or language regarding sacraments because nothing could be further from the truth. If you go back to episode 3 on the sacramental worldview, I explain how the word sacrament is a combination of two words and ideas. There's the sacred oath part, which I would call faith, and the sacred mystery part, which I would call grace. When we step into the waters of baptism, we are saying yes to God, but is God doing all the work in mysteriously transferring that grace to us and washing away our original sin? Furthermore, faith is always a requirement of baptism. Paragraph 1253 of the Catechism states, quote, Baptism is the sacrament of faith, but faith needs the community of believers. It is only within the faith of the church that each of the faithful can believe. The faith required for baptism is not a perfect and mature faith, but a beginning that is called to develop. The catechumen, or the godparent, is asked, What do you ask of God's church? The response is, Faith. End quote. And this brings us to a criticism that a credo-baptist would make, not just of the Catholic Church, but all churches that practice infant baptism. A credo-baptist is one who believes that one must be able to make a profession of faith in order to be baptized. In other words, they won't baptize infants, but only those who can profess their faith, hence the word credo, which means to believe. A credo-baptist would point to passages such as Acts 2.38, where Peter told the crowd to repent and be baptized, or Mark 16.16, where Jesus said, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Obviously, the only person that can repent or believe is someone that can understand and articulate their faith, which a baby can't do. So therefore, baptism, as they would say, is only appropriate for a child who is of the age of reason or an adult. Credo-baptists which are a tiny minority in the grand scope of Christendom, make a valid point if you're interpreting the Bible in the most limited sense. We do not have any explicit examples in the Bible of infants being baptized. However, one who practices infant baptism might point to Acts 2.38-39, which is the same passage that Credo-Baptists would point to, and they'd emphasize the last part of Peter's mandate, quote, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him, end quote. Acts 16.33 and 1 Corinthians 1.16 make the case for baptizing an entire household, and the Greek word used in these passages includes infants and slaves. So while infant baptism is not explicitly in the Bible, it's not like the Bible explicitly says that only grown children and adults can be baptized. I'd also note that the word Trinity is not explicitly in the Bible. It's merely implicit, but one of the standard litmus tests of whether a church is part of the broader Christian community is the doctrine of the Trinity. As a former Baptist who argued for credo-baptism, I completely missed something regarding baptism in the Bible. We have to remember that, for the most part, the entire New Testament was written to the first generation of Christians. The conversations that we read where the apostolic fathers are urging people to repent and be baptized, they're happening with adults because the adults are the first converts to Christianity. They are the ones that believed and were baptized and planted Christianity in both their homes and their communities. So therefore, I think it would be a mistake to assume baptism was only for adults just because the message is mostly oriented towards adults. We have clear evidence of infant baptism as early as the 2nd century. Consider what Hippolytus wrote in 215 AD in his work, The Apostolic Tradition. Quote, 
Baptize first the children, and if they can speak for themselves, let them do so. Otherwise, let their parents or other relatives speak for them. End quote. Remember, if baptism is the fulfillment of circumcision and the initiation into the new covenant and a community of faith, then it most certainly is also for infants. Catholics and most other Christians baptize infants because of what we believe about the sacrament of baptism and the imparting of grace. Why would we want to withhold that from our children? We want them to have that grace. Like the man born blind that Jesus healed after washing in the pool of Siloam, we want them to experience that supernatural healing that occurs in the waters of baptism. Let me give you an illustration of this. There was a young girl who was entering into the Catholic Church along with other members of her family. Because she was a little older, she was attending faith formation classes. But there were a number of crises that this young girl was experiencing. The deacon said, we're going to baptize her even though she hasn't completed these classes because she needs this grace. She needs all the grace that she can get. That really helped me understand Catholic baptism, particularly as it pertains to children. As a Baptist pastor, one of my jobs was to interview people that made a profession of faith and wanted to be baptized. I'd ask some basic questions and try to see if they were ready. And there were a couple of times I turned a kid away because I didn't think they were ready. And looking back, I really did those children a disservice. Because I thought of baptism as a symbol, I really undervalued God's part in the whole process. Like we saw with the illustration of the man born blind, the water was part of the physical and spiritual awakening process. Baptism is just that. It's the beginning, and it's okay that someone has an immature faith when they're baptized, because baptism is like the day we enrolled in preschool. It's just the beginning. It is the initiation into the new covenant, into the Christian community, and into the life of Jesus our Messiah. If you want to go more in-depth regarding why Catholics baptize infants and the Catholic theology behind baptism, I highly recommend the podcast The Cordial Catholic, particularly the episode entitled The Catholic Case for Infant Baptism. I've linked to it in the show notes. I want to talk about one more aspect of baptism. In our church, we baptize by pouring water over the head of the individual three times. Some churches practice immersion, some practice sprinkling, and it really depends on the church and the denomination. The Baptist church that I grew up in and later went on to pastor was militant about baptism by immersion. And yeah, I'm going to stick to that word militant. I had an older parishioner who made a profession of faith, but he was terrified of water. And so he was hesitant about getting baptized. His mother had drowned when he was younger. And so the thought of immersing his head under water was terrifying for him. He told me that when he showered, he quickly ran his head under the water. That's all he could manage. I brought this to the attention of the church leaders, and they wouldn't make any exceptions or accommodations. Baptism, which they believed to be an important symbol, had to be done with full immersion. I thought it was rather ridiculous, personally, because after all, we believed baptism was symbolic. If it was symbolic, then all we're really saying is that one symbol is better than the other. But whatever, we did it. And it was a terrifying experience for him, as well as for me, as he gripped onto me for dear life and nearly dragged me under the water with him. However, not all churches were like mine, and many would have probably made an exception in his case. In fact, there are probably many credo-baptist churches that would accept a person's baptism as valid, no matter the form, as long as it was done when they were capable of making a profession of faith. In the Catholic tradition, the method of one's baptism, whether immersion, infusion, or sprinkling, is a secondary issue. There's a long tradition of this in Christianity. The Didache, which I've referenced before and which is believed to be older than much of the New Testament, says the following about baptism. 
Quote, and concerning baptism, baptize this way. Having first said all these things, baptize into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28:19, in living water. And I'll note here that living water means moving water. But if you have not living water, baptize into other water. And if you cannot in cold, in warm. But if you have not either, pour out water thrice upon the head into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, end quote. The emphasis on one's baptism was not focused on the form of the baptism. They could be immersed or have water poured over them, but rather the emphasis was placed on the authority of the baptism, that the baptism needed to be done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this brief defense of Catholic baptism, if there's one thing you take away, understand that Catholics believe that baptism is receiving this invisible and irreversible mark by God. We are his, we are part of his kingdom, we belong to him, and when we are baptized, we or our parents and godparents say yes to God, and he in turn is giving us an abundance of grace. I want to end by addressing the Catholics who have been baptized and maybe had their children baptized as well, but who sporadically attend Mass and really don't give their faith much thought. When we participate in a sacrament, we are making a sacred oath, just like in a marriage. Sacred oaths are solemn promises, promises that God expects us to fulfill. Because at the same time, God is serious about fulfilling His end of the bargain and lavishing us with abundant grace. That baptism is an indelible mark. It's God's brand on your soul. If you've been away, it's time to come back home. Jesus, the good shepherd, is waiting for you because after all, you belong to him. Friends, this was our 20th episode of Why Catholic. You know, people have been messaging me or coming up to see me at church and saying, hey, I'm listening to your podcast and I love it. Goodness, I'm so touched. I can't say thank you enough. If you've been blessed by this, please take a moment to review it on your podcast provider. I'd be grateful if you gave it five stars, wrote a brief review, and shared it with your friends and family. Remember, you can also subscribe to the Why Catholic community. Just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. Until next time, remember your baptism. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic.